Hebrews 11, verse 1 is a familiar passage of Scripture. You've heard it preached on a million times probably, so I'll probably just try to throw a new word or two in there and move on to why I'm here to share with you about what God is doing in our part of the world. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, let me, let me just give you a little brief word study. May I do that this morning, just briefly as I can? Um, see the little word substance? If you write in your Bible, you can underline that word. The little word substance. I asked a teenager some time ago, I said, when you hear the word substance, what do you think about? That's a loaded question for a teenager, isn't it? I'm thinking, wow, they probably come up with something like substance abuse or something like that. And he thought about that for a while. We think a little bit differently up in eastern Kentucky than you do down here this East Tennessee or Middle Tennessee? Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, he thought about that for a while. He said, well, when I think about substance, that I think about stuff. I said, you know, you're exactly right. Faith is the stuff. It's the content of. It's the makeup of. It's the essence of. That's what faith is. It's the stuff. I like that word, so I use it frequently. Here's another word to use it. It's the stuff of things hoped for. See that word? Now, we use that a lot of times in many different ways, but we use it like this most of the time. See if I'm correct. If you came up to me this morning, you said to me, Lonnie, I'm not feeling too well. My response might be something like this. Well, I'm sorry you're not feeling well. I sure do hope you feel better tomorrow. Ever use that word like that? That's a common use, isn't it? Now, you know what you've just said? I don't have a clue whether you will or not, but I just hope everything works out all right. Correct? That's not the way it's used here. The word can be used, Paul says, that we have one hope of his calling. It doesn't mean we're guessing about it. We don't know about it. That's not what he means. It, it can be translated assurance or confidence. So read that word like this. Faith is the stuff that you're already convinced about concerning God. It's not a leap into the dark, it's a leap into the light. And then he goes on to say, now that you have this stuff and you're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt concerning God, then it becomes the evidence, or another word translated might be, reality. It becomes the reality for everyone else to see. So that's what we live on in Lynch. Faith is the stuff that you're already convinced about. And then it becomes reality so other people can see it. Now, I'm going to mix this in this morning with the testimony of how we got to Lynch and briefly and some things that God may be doing there with a great anticipation in my heart that God may challenge your life to serve Him by faith and trust Him by faith. If you're not a Christian, that's where you begin. It's by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I've been the entire gamut of Southern Baptist life. I've been a college administrator at one of our Baptist colleges. I was an assistant to the president there for a number of years at the University of the Cumberlands. I've been a denominational worker. I spent eight years in the Baptist Convention of Ohio in the evangelism section. I've pastored small churches, some as running as few as eight in Sunday school, and some larger churches, those running probably up around 750 in Sunday school. So I've been the whole gamut of Southern Baptist life. But my last pastorate was in South Haven, Mississippi, 
a little church called me there from Ohio, and they said, uh, we're running less than 100 in Sunday school. They were, had a split in the church, and they were fragmented and broken and fighting and hurting. And they said, unless you come to be our pastor, we're going to have to close our doors. So I left a wonderful church in Ohio and moved to Mississippi uh, with that little church running less than 100. Now, that's not the norm for Southern Baptists, is it? You want to go up the ladder instead of down the ladder. You don't leave a church running over 700 to a church running less than 100. But God had called me there, and I knew that. About five years later, that little church had grown to well over 400 in Sunday school, 500 in worship. We built a new building, $1.3 million, moved into it virtually debt-free, and God was doing a tremendous work. Now, the church was very affluent, and uh, so they bought my wife and I. Where's my wife, by the way? Is she hanging around? In the back? Yeah, she's in the back there. Um, <clears throat> you'll meet her afterwards back at the display. Uh, they bought our, my wife and I our dream home. They bought us a five-bedroom, three-bath, Tudor Estate executive home right near a 40-acre lake. And the guy in the church said, now, you can't live near a lake and not have a boat, so he gave me a new bass boat. We had Cadillacs, whatever we wanted we had, and I thought, man, I'm going to settle down here, retire, and live the life of Riley. That's my last name, by the way. <laughs> thought I'd just take it easy. And uh, when we went back to Lynch, Kentucky, to bury my mother-in-law, who lived with us for the last seven years of her life, um, we began to look around and see the poverty. And my wife grew up in Lynch, where we now live. I grew up in Hazard, some 30 miles away. For those of you who remember, I'm not a Duke boy, okay? Just an ordinary old mountain guy. And uh, we just had the good fortune of being educated, and the Lord sent us literally around the world in mission work. And while we were there, we saw the poverty the hopelessness in the eyes of the people, but we also saw what God had provided us in South Haven, Mississippi. And we were very anxious and excited about getting back to South Haven and, and uh, using what the Lord had given us. And, but so several people came by and said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, I sure am. They said, we need somebody to come to the mountains and help us. Nobody will help us up here in the mountains. My response was, the typical Baptist response, boy, you sure do need help. Does anybody else know what and now what? Y'all help me now. Yeah, I'll pray for you. We don't really intend to do that, do we? We just want to get on about our business. Now, don't look at me pious. I'm not the only one that does that. And we want to get on about our business, and we say, I'll pray for you so we can get rid of people. You know, I was going back on down to Mississippi, and God spoke to my wife and I at the same time, said, that's where I want your life to be. And here's what God said to me. God said, I want you to know when you get to Lynch, you won't have a big fancy home, even though God's given us a nice home. God said, you won't have big fancy automobiles, even though God's given us a nice automobile. And God said, you won't have a big six-digit income salary. In fact, you won't have any salary at all. But God said, I want you to know, Lonnie, that you'll have me. And I said, Lord, as long as I have you, you're all I ever need. Could I ask you today, sir, is Jesus part of what you need, or is he really all you need? Lady, what about you? Is Jesus part of what you need? Or could he really be all you need? I'm convinced the Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is everything we need. He's all we need. He is all we need for salvation. He is all we need for life. He is all we need in death. He is everything we need. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you and believe you and whatever you... Whatever you give to us will be fine. So we moved to Lynch, Kentucky. No promise of an income and a, from a five-bedroom home to a four-room house. That's quite a bit of difference. 
and it takes a little adjustment on our part. And we began to look around, and I knew that faith was the stuff that I was already convinced about concerning God. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that I am convinced that God can do absolutely anything. He is sovereign, so He can do anything He wants, whenever He wants, wherever He wants, with whomever He wants. That's the sovereignty of God, isn't it? And that's what I believe about God. And He is able to do anything. Now, faith is most real when anybody can believe what happened in this Bible because it's written down. It's a written record for us that we can believe that. Or we can believe God can do anything in the future because He's God and what He says He can do. But when is faith most real? It is most real in the here and now. Can God do it right now? Can God do it where I am? Can God do it through my situation? That's when faith is most real. And so that's where our faith began to come into play. Not in the past, not in the future, but in the here and now. And God began to provide for us because I'm convinced God can provide for you. Do you have a need in your life today? Do you suppose that you would ever face a need at which God would scratch his head and say, Boy, I didn't think of that one. Of course not. God already knows what you need before you ask. And so God already has the provision for what you need. God doesn't have to recreate anything because you're in this problem or you have this need. No, God already has it provided for you. Everything that needs to be created, God's already created. And so we live our life based upon that principle. God is who he says he is, and he will do exactly what he says he will do. So this guy stopped by my house one day, and he said, somebody told me as a preacher might be able to help me. I said, well, if I can, I will. He said, I need $75. Told me why. His family needed some food. He needed to get his car fixed and some other things like that. By the way, I suppose you all have folks stopping by your church all the time, going from one place to another, and they're wanting free lodging, free meals. Is that true, Brother Lyle? Uh, now, you all been to Lynch, right? Some of you have. You don't pass through Lynch, Kentucky. <laughs> You've got to be going there to get there. We're way up in the mountains. I mean, literally, the sunshine in the winter comes, the sun comes up at 10, goes down at 2. I mean, that's literally true. And so we don't have folks just passing through our town. And if uh, somebody comes to you with a need, most of the time it's legitimate. So I said to him this. I said, man, I don't have $75. But I tell you what, if God gives me $75, I'll let you have it. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? So he went on his way, and I went about my business. Two days later, I was out. Uh, by the way, when I looked up and down the street there and saw these old uh, empty homes, 13 empty homes on the town street we lived on, now they're all full except one. Folks are moving back to Lynch. They had hedges growing up. You know what hedges are? Now, if you don't cut those things, they grow into trees. And so they, they had been unkept for years in these abandoned homes, and so they were growing out over the sidewalk. You couldn't walk on the sidewalk because of these things. And I, I thought, I'll just make the town look better. God sent me here to help, and I'll make the town look better. So I went down to Walmart and bought me a set of hedge clippers. It cost uh, $24.99. They're about 16 inches long. I got me a 100-foot extension cord, and I just went up and down the street cutting hedges. I didn't knock on the door to see if anybody was home. I didn't ask permission. The town just looked a little ratty, and I thought I'd make it look a little better. So I, I just trying to do things right, you know, and fixing it up. And uh, so working on that door, and the guy asked me for the $75. I said, man, I don't have it, but if God gives it to me, I'll let you have it. Two days later, my wife and I were standing on the little door trying to fix it up, and 
this lady pulls up in a Jeep from Ohio. She came up to me and she crossed her arms. She said, I came to pay my bill. I said, well, ma'am, you don't know me, Bill, as I know of. I've never seen you before in my life. She said, aren't you the guy going up and down the street cutting everybody's hedges? I said, yes, ma'am, I'm doing that because God sent me here, not because I need any money. She said, well, I own the old house three doors up from you. Always pay to have my hedges clipped. You did a good job, and I'm going to pay you. So she pulled out a $100 bill and laid it on the door. She, or she said, now, if you don't pick up that $100 bill, it's going to lay there. Now, folks, you don't say that to a broke Baptist preacher in eastern Kentucky, right? <laughs> I'm thinking... I'm thinking, I'm going to Western Sizzling tonight to get me a steak. That's about the best we can do in Hardin County. And that's 40 miles from where I live, so I was pretty excited about getting that $100. And as I was going in the, as I was going in the door, God spoke to me and said, Wait a minute now, Lonnie, you told that boy if I gave you $75, you'd give it to him. I said, Lord, you're right. And I cannot tell you the great joy in my heart. I mean, it's like it happened yesterday. The great joy in my heart when I was able to sit down at the phone and call this young man and say, Man, I want you to know that God has been good to you. I told you if God gave me $75, I'd give it to you. God just gave me $75. So come on down and pick it up. And you'll know tonight when your family sits down to a nice warm meal for the first time in a long time. And the needs of your family have been met. You'll know that God has been exceptionally good to you. As I was going out the door to give him $75, man, I was so excited. God touched me on the shoulder. I mean, it was clearer than that. It spoke to me and said, Lonnie, I just wanted you to know, boy, not only did I give that boy that $75, but I just paid you back your $24.99 hedge clippers all in one shot. <laughs> Isn't that just like God? <clears throat> I mean, that's the way God does stuff. Uh, it's things that you're already convinced about concerning God. That is exactly what He wants to do. Now, the ministry has grown in tremendous ways. Now, I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 11 that there's one thing that's very consistent here that you need to look at. Because it's very simple, but we often overlook it. I want to just kind of go through it with you. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Now, the last I heard, the little word impossible means that there isn't the slightest possibility that it could happen. Am I true so far? But now, we want to think that we can please God by what we do and not with faith. If we do enough stuff, God is pleased with that. But now, according to verse 6, without faith, it is impossible. That means without faith in your life, there is not the slightest possibility of your life pleasing God. You can sing in the choir. You can teach Sunday school. You can stand in the pulpit and preach. But if you aren't doing it in faith, according to that verse, unless I missed it, our life is not pleasing to God. So faith is very, very important. Now, how much faith do we have? I'd like to answer that question for you in the simple way that God gave it to me. Y'all can help me out. Y'all doing a good job this morning, so you can help me out. How much faith did Jesus have? Somebody say it. Don't be ashamed now. Jesus had all faith, didn't he? You know why he did? Because the Bible says that the entire Godhead was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. All there is of God is in Jesus, right? Because he's God. Now, when you receive Jesus Christ in your heart, if you've been born again, how much of him did you receive? All of him. Now, follow this line of thought. Jesus had all the faith there he is. You received all of Jesus in your heart. Now, how much faith do you have in you? All. 
doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. So all of us, when we're born again, have the exact same amount of faith. So no longer can you go up to people and say, I wish I had the amount of faith that you do, because the fact is, you do. But now the question must become, how much of his faith am I allowing to be displayed through my life? Now, that's a totally different question, because that comes through relationship to God and fellowship with God, that you allow God to express himself through your life to the world, and that's what the world sees, is the expression of God in you. And that's what faith is all about. And so, these men and women, as he spoke of, the roll call of the faithful had one simple thing in common. I want you to notice it in verse 7. We'll look at another verse. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. My simple question to you is, when did Noah start building the ark? The obvious answer is, when God told him. Right? Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. When did Abraham obey God? When he was called. In other words, every single person that has this thing in common is that they have a word from God and they believe God and then God does exactly what they believe Him to do. Every single time. But our problem is... We want to get a good idea, and we want to hope God shows up in this idea and makes everything work out according to the way we plan. And He may not do that, because God has His own plan. Now, let me give an example. If we wanted to start a teen center in downtown Goodlettsville, <laughs> this is a good analogy here. Uh, we would get this plan together. We call it strategic planning, right? So we're going to divide up the congregation this morning into three committees. Don't you like that? Three committees. We're going to have this side a committee, this one a committee, and this one a committee. And we're going to give you 30 minutes, and we're going to give you a marker board with a marker on there, and we want you to pray about this, we want you to discuss this, and come up with a strategy of how we could build a teen center in downtown Goodensville. Now, we are intelligent people, aren't we? We could come up with three wonderful strategies in 30 minutes of what we need to do to build a teen center in downtown Goodensville. But would that be God? Now, usually here's what happens. We get to fussing and fighting over which strategy was the best. And then, if we look at somebody else's strategy, and we got a better idea, we think they ought to incorporate what we think into their new strategy, right? Now, y'all, shake your head if you're with me so far. And so, instead of doing what God has instructed us to do, we begin to bicker over which one is the best one. Now, would that be God? Probably not. You know how it would be God? Is if every single committee had the exact same strategy. Then it would be God. You know why? Because God has only one way to do it. And God doesn't consult us about how we think it ought to be done. But we think He does. No, God doesn't do that. God has His plan, and then He comes to you to share with you His plan, and then you walk out into the world, and everybody sees His plan. 
That's pretty amazingly simple, isn't it? I suggest you try that. Walking by faith, letting God tell you what He desires, and then you go out and obey God. That's exactly the way we did in Lynch, Kentucky, and that's what we do to this day. I want to tell you another little thing about how God works in amazing ways to touch a community. And ultimately, I believe through Lynch, Kentucky, that God will touch a world because He's that big. Even though no one knows where it is, God does. And that's pretty key. Uh, they called me up from the convention and asked me to come down and look at a piece of property down in Somerset, Kentucky. Now, we deal with a lot of poverty folks in our area, but this is a unique place. It is a gated community. The homes start at 299000 and go to a million dollars. And a gated community means that you have to have a key to get in this community. And uh, we looked at this little piece of property, and he said, we, want, we would like for you to build a chapel here. And if you build a chapel in this area, you'll be the only people who are allowed access. Only religious folks are allowed access to our community. In other words, Jehovah Witnesses can't get in. Mormons can't get in. Uh, nobody can get in except the people who build this chapel. And so I said, okay, we'll, we'll build this chapel. I mean, that's a, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? If God came to you and said, I want you to build a chapel in an area nobody else can get into, there are 250 homes, and you have, you have sole responsibility, there's 250 homes. And I said, sure, we'll do that. And he said, well, I just want to tell you the story about this chapel. This chapel was designed by William Phillips, who was the same guy who designed and built the West Wing of the White House. He works for Southern Living Magazine, and when you get this chapel built, he wants to come up and have his picture made with this chapel, and he wants to use this chapel as a model for every gated community in America. Is that not incredible? I mean, who could think of something like that except God? And God put us right in the middle of that. Now we just have the new chapel under roof, and uh, we're working on getting it finished. And now we've already been asked to build two more, uh, one in Livingston, Tennessee, and one in Kentucky, uh, the same Heaven's Door Chapel. And God knew a long time ago what He had in mind. Now, I'm not a builder. I'm just one who tries to follow God and look to see what God is doing out there, like the team center, to make sure that lines, God lines up the strategy in just the right way in order that when he works, everyone will know it's God. That's the key to the whole process, not how great uh, creativity we have or what an administrative mind that we may have, but what an awesome God he is to come to ordinary people like you and I and use us in his kingdom extension. That's what God's all about. He's not interested in how intelligent you are, or how many jobs that you've completed, what he's interested in is how willing you are to yield your heart and life to him. And when you yield your heart and life to him, it is amazing what he can do. Only God can do things like that. Now, the end result of this story is kind of all this. God is using Marizzo Center in the mountains of eastern Kentucky to touch an entire world. Some of you are familiar with the old hospital in Lynch and how... Uh, how many of you have heard the CD, Miracle in the Mountains? Well, I've got I to tell you this story, then I'll be through in just a minute. Y'all hang with me now. We had 600 volunteers show up the first year, 1,200 the second year, 2,000 showed up the third year from all across America. We have not called a church and said, will you come and help us? But now we had to start putting these people in this building. Somewhere we had to put them. So we, they had to cook. They had to shower, and they had to sleep. Now, 2,000, a little town of, of, 
of 1100. You can imagine what an administrative nightmare that was, but God saw us through that. So we started praying for a mission house, and all of a sudden, right across the street, a little old house came available, 13 rooms, and I said, we'll just pray that God will give us that one. We prayed two years for that, and it sold in bankruptcy court for $25,000. And I thought, man, we miss God in this. But the next week, God sent an investor from Georgia that invested in old buildings. He saw the hospital in Lynch, Kentucky was vacant. Four stories, 80 rooms. And he said, uh, Lonnie, find out who owns that building, and I'll buy it and let you use it for 10 years for a dollar a year. I said, man, this is awesome. I was real excited about that. Found out that Ark Land Company out of St. Louis owned this building. I hooked the uh, vice president in charge of property up with this uh, Baptist deacon down in Georgia. And, uh, man, I was excited until the vice president called me back in about three months and said, Lonnie, that deal fell through with that guy in Georgia. He said, he's not going to buy that building. He said, my boss is on to me to get rid of that thing. And I said, man, don't sell that. I believe God wants to use that in the mountains for his glory. He said, you really believe that? I said, yes, sir. He said, why don't you buy it? It's called putting your faith where your mouth is, isn't it? I said, okay, I will. How much you want for that? He said, I want $85,000. I said, okay, I'll buy it. He said, how much money you got? I said, oh, I don't have any money. <laughs> I said, but my heavenly father's rich, and when he gets ready, he'll buy this building. He said, now, I know you're a man of faith, but the best I can do is hold it for you for 30 days. I said, well, just hang on to it. That ought to be enough time for my father to come up with that kind of money. So uh, we don't do fundraisers now. We don't go out and try to get churches to give us so much money. We just let God give us what he thinks we ought to have. So we ask our prayer partners to pray with us, and God began to, to send us in money miraculously from across the country. A friend of ours passed away in his estate, sent us some money, and we put it back knowing that old building was coming up for sale. Now, you've got to follow the line of thinking here. Three weeks into the deal, the vice president calls me back. He says, Lonnie, you ready to close on that building? I said, yes, sir, I'm ready when you are. He said, okay, today's Tuesday. Next Tuesday will be your 30 days. Bring me a cashier's check for $85,000, and I'll bring you the deed. It'll just be yours. I said, okay. He said, how much money you got? I said, I got $25,000. He said, now you know you need eighty-five. I said, yes, sir, but I don't need it today. You told me next week. God's never late or early. God's always on time. And we want God to show up early so we can figure out what to do with it. I went out of town on Wednesday. My wife calls me on Thursday and said, Honey, this fellow from Ohio called and said he'd been praying for us. And God had instructed him to send us down some money to use on the old building. I said, Well, just tell him send it on down. That was now the ordinary. So tell him send it on down. Whatever he doesn't send, we'll pray for it. Today's Tuesday. Got to, or today's uh, uh, Friday. Got till next, uh, next Tuesday. So I called her back the next day and I said, Honey, did he say anything about that money? You know how we kind of inquire about that? She said, yeah, he wired it down today. I said, wired it down? How much did he wire down? She said, $65,000. Now, you know, it takes a while to, for that money to clear the bank. So the money came available at 12 o'clock on Tuesday. And I got a cashier's check for $85,000. And at 1 o'clock, I handed it to Mr. Irons there in front of our retreat center. Boy, he said, you sure are a man of great faith. I said, no, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Father. And you can come to know the Father just like I do through Jesus. See how amazing that is? It's, it's the stuff that you're already convinced about. And now we house our people in our Solomon's Porch Retreat Center that God has uh, furnished and refurbished. And it's a, to me, it's a model in Lynch, Kentucky of the grace of God and all that God can do. Now, one more story and I'll be through. I believe God can provide for you no matter what the situation when you obey Him. There was a couple in our church, Joe and Jenny Sanabane. Uh, 
they had four little towhead kids like that. He worked in a factory, drove a forklift, didn't make a lot of money. And there was another lady in our church who was right at the point of death. And um, Jeannie, in her prayer time, she shared this with our church, was in her knees on her bed, uh, on her knees in her bedroom praying, and God spoke to her. He said, Jeannie, I want you to get up, and I want you to get a rose and take over to Janet's house. If you go over to Janet's house and give her this rose and pray with her, I will heal her and raise her up. Now, that was unusual for Jeannie. And so, boy, in the excitement of her heart, she jumped up and ran into the kitchen and opened up her purse and realized that she didn't have any money at all. So she called her husband, Joe, at work and said, Joe, God just spoke to me and told me if I got a rose and took it over to Janet's house and gave her that rose and prayed with her, that he would... He would heal her and raise her up. And uh, said, would you mind stopping by on the way home and getting a rose? And there was silence on the other end of the phone. And Joe said, honey, you know today's Thursday. I don't get paid till Friday. He said, I don't have a penny in my pocket. And Jeannie said, uh, my heart was just crushed. And said, I asked Joe, well, Joe, what should I do if God told me this? And Joe wisely said, I suggest you go back and ask God. He's the one who told you to do it. So Jenny goes back in the bedroom, gets on her knees again, and begins to pray. And while she was praying, there was a knock on the door. And she went and opened the door, and there was a longtime friend of hers she hadn't seen for some time. They visited for about 30 minutes or so, according to Jenny. And just as she was fixing to leave, she turned around. And she said, oh, by the way, Jenny, my husband and I just bought the local flower shop downtown. We've been cleaning out the old flower shop, and I got one rose in the back seat of my car. You know if anybody can use a rose? Jeannie said, I fell on my knees and began to cry and praise the Lord. And said, he t- I told her the story. And she went out and got the rose and took it over to Janet's house and gave her the rose and prayed with her. God, as he is faithful to always do what he says he will do, heal Janet and raised her up. And now with a beautiful soprano voice, Janet Kokinji is traveling all over the eastern seaboard sharing the good news of Jesus because little Jeannie, knew that God could provide her with one single rose. I don't know what your great view of God is, but I'm here to tell you today, God can take care of your need if it's one single rose or $85,000. God, when he speaks, it's as good as done. When you trust him and believe him. May I ask you today, sir, when people look at your life, do they say, there goes a man of faith? What about you, lady? When you're in the workplace on a daily basis, do your colleagues look at you and say, there's a lady of faith? If not today, I'm going to ask you to begin your journey of faith. Do I know all there is to know about faith? Oh, no. No one does. But we'll know someday. But we can begin the process and the journey by surrendering our heart and life to Him. 